So if you've been with us uh, for a while, you know that we're in a series called Don't Move the Lampstand, which is an odd title, um, but it's also kind of, a, it's, it's kind of important, it's kind of critical to get where, we're, where we started so that we can know where we are. One of the things that we've been doing each week, we, we've kind of re- been reminding ourselves why people come to church. What are, they, what are we doing here? Why, why are we here? And uh, we do research on this. People ask questions about this. And, and as I've been highlighting, the vast majority of people will say things like, I want to be closer to God. I want, um, I want my kids to have moral instruction. I want, uh, I want community is a big one. We'll talk about that today. Uh, I think it's uh, 60% of respondents say, I want community. I want to be with people. Uh, yeah, of course. My spouse makes me go. And, uh, you know, I... I'd do anything to avoid it, but to keep peace in the marriage, here I am, being yelled at week after week. What's crazy is that the Bible, like, when we looked at, we looked at um, Exodus, and we looked at what the Bible thinks that church or religious worship is about, services, and, it, and none of those things come up at all. The Bible doesn't seem to actually be interested in those things that much. Now, I'm, I'm going to walk that back a little bit, but in terms of why we're here, what we're doing, the Bible was really, really clear that the church is a lampstand, a menorah. And the church, like the menorah in the, in the Old Testament, uh, is designed to highlight, to illuminate something. In the Old Testament, it was the, it was the, the, the bread of the presence and, and the wine uh, of, the, of offering in, the, in, the, in the, the tabernacle that the Israelites took with them wherever they went. And the idea was the menorah would bounce the light off and have like a spotlight that would just light these things up. So that when the priest came, the priest would be attentive to the importance of the, the meal that, that the priest was going to share with God. And then we saw that in the New Testament, Jesus identifies himself as the bread and the wine of presence. And then John identifies the church as the lampstand that illuminates Jesus, shines the spotlight on Jesus, and says it's all about Jesus. He is salvation. He's redemption. He's goodness. He shows us how to live. He gives us life. He saves us, redeems us, frees us. He's everything. And our one job, the one thing we're supposed to be doing week in, week out, is shining the spotlight on him. And then we saw that in Acts 2, what's really cool is it starts out with Peter, like, just shining the light on Jesus. He tells, he tells all of how Jesus is prefigured in, in, the, in the Old Testament. He tells the, the people what Jesus has done. He encourages people to repent. He encourages people to come to Jesus, to believe. He does all those things. He shines the spotlight. And then we see what happens as a result. And that's our text. Let's read the whole thing again, and we're going we're gonna to do a deep dive on just, on just two elements, really one element of that text. This is Acts 2, 40 to 47. As I've mentioned, this is the inaugural text uh, for this building. When this building was dedicated in the 1970s, um, J. Vernon McGee, the Bible teacher, the radio Bible teacher, came and preached on this text and, 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 and said to Coast, as long as you're around, Coast, you stick to your guns on this. We're going to honor that today. With many other words, he, Peter, testified to them and encouraged them, saying, be saved from this sick generation. And we said, be rescued out of this sick, corrupt, bent generation. Those who welcomed Peter's message were baptized, and God brought about 3,000 people into the community on that day. The believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the community, their shared meals and the prayers 
A sense of awe came over everyone. God performed many wonders and signs through the apostles. All the believers were united and shared everything. They would sell pieces of property and possessions and distribute the proceeds to everyone who needed them. Every day they met together in the temple and ate in their homes. They shared food with gladness and simplicity. They praised God and his grace for them was obvious to everyone. The Lord added daily to the community those who were in the process of being rescued. We're just going to be zeroing in on on one element, community, koinonia in the Greek. The believers devoted themselves to the community, the koinonia. It's an odd word. If you, if, so if you take out your pew Bibles and you go to what, whatever page it is, 576, you're going to see a fellowship there. Fellowship is the word that usually gets uh, used to, for, for koinonia. Uh, that's a word that only Christians use. And so uh, we've kind of updated the language a little bit here to say community. But whether you say community or fellowship, it's a weasel word. What is community? Scott does Toastmasters. He has a Toastmasters community. He also helps run the, the basketball. He has a basketball community. Community could be a club that you're a part of, people that you hang out with. Community could be Ladera Ranch. I live in the Ladera Ranch community. I don't, um, but some of you do. And, and, and presumably you have some connections to that area, that space. What does community mean? Well, there's a cool, uh, I know that you all got up this morning and you, and you thought to yourselves, I sure hope we get to have a grammar lesson today. You're in luck. I have a couple sentences here. We're going to talk about being a positive. Uh, this is the first sentence. Alice Bennett loves her parents, Ed Sheeran, and Carly Rae Jepsen. Now, for those of you who are over the age of 30, and there are a lot of you, you may not know Ed Sheeran and Carly Rae Jepsen, although hopefully you know Alice. Alice is my daughter. And she loves her parents, me and Aaron. She also loves Carly Rae Jepsen, who sings the song, Call Me Maybe. Oh, man, that song's brutal. If you really want to hurt yourself, uh, listen to that song a couple times. And the only way you'll be able to get it out of your head is with a bullet. <laughs> All right. So that's Carly Rae Jepsen. And then oh, my doppelganger, the British uh, goofy-looking redhead, Ed Sheeran. Uh, Ed and I share a lot of things in common. When we sing, we both sound like a girl. Um, Alice loves us all. Now, did you know, now, the only difference between this next sentence and then the sentence I just showed you is, is a comma. So here we go. Here's the next sentence. Blue Ivy Carter loves her parents, Jay-Z and Beyonce. Now, if you're over the age or under the age of 40, you know who Jay-Z and Beyonce are. And for those of you over the age of 40, and we have a lot of you, I'm going to show you. There's Jay-Z. He's a rapper, got kind of famous in the 90s. His uh, younger wife, Beyonce, who kind of took off in the, what, I guess 2000s? I, I don't know. But they're both very talented people, I'm sure. And that's their daughter, Blue Ivy Carter. Do you notice the difference in the two sentences? Well, that same difference is in the Greek of this text in Acts 2. And what it is, this right here, Blue Ivy Carter loves her parents, Jay-Z and Beyonce. Jay-Z and Beyonce isn't a positive. It describes or tells you who her parents are. 
Whereas the comma after uh, parents and then Ed, uh, Carly Rae Jepsen and Ed Sheeran just tells you three things Alice likes, a series. This tells you who Blue Ivy Carter's parents are, Jay-Z and Beyonce. Similarly, there's no conjunction in the Greek after the word koinonia or fellowship. If we go back to the text briefly, you'll see uh, teaching in the community, the community, comma, their shared meals and the prayers. For Luke, the idea of koinonia, the idea of what a community is, is summed up in any group, in this group of people who believe in Jesus and do two things. They have shared meals and they, and they, they participate in the prayers. I want you to, this is critical because we're gonna dive here and I want you to understand Luke is defining for us what genuine community is. That's the first thing you know sheets. Luke sums up community as people who eat and pray together. Eat and pray together. Now, if you're, uh, if you have the, if you open up your food Bible to page 576 and you're reading this text, you'll see that the, the New King James says, and they, uh, they were devoted to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. The breaking of bread, again, that's something that uh, church people don't really say that much. If you say to someone, hey, we're going to, let's go break some bread, they're going to be like, why? Don't we have to fix it when we're done? Whereas if you talk to church people, what do church people think? Well, I'll show you. They, church people think of uh, the Pope or a priest, right? He's literally breaking the bread during the Eucharist, right? So church people, when we think about breaking bread, we almost always associate it with communion, which is a ritual that we practice. In the Roman Catholic Church, it's a very, very important ritual. Uh, it, it's the, the Roman Catholic Church believes this is the, the primary way that God's grace is distributed to us. Um, as Bible-believing Protestants, we, we reject that view. Instead, we believe that it's a symbol of the grace that we actually receive through Christ alone, as we sang. So here at our church, you might remember this. If you come here every uh, the first Sunday of every month, you get this. There's some broken up pieces of cracker and some grape juice. And we send this around and we take a moment to reflect on Jesus and what he's done for us. That's what we think of when we think of breaking bread. Well, both non-church people and church people are wrong. That's not what breaking bread is. I have a picture of breaking bread. It's called a block party. This is a block party in New York City. There's a bunch, there's a guy who got his, uh, he got his grill out, like, uh, like Nate. Where's Nate? Is Nate in here? He's probably teaching somebody. Dude loves to grill. I respect, oh, there he is. You know, he smokes, he does it all. The man handles and makes meat taste good. So he gets his grill out there and he's like, hey everybody, I'm cooking meat. He doesn't even have to say it because the smell wafts off. And then everyone's like, ooh, what's this? And so they come down and they start hanging out. And people are like, you know, just doing what they do. And there's maybe some music, some lights, right? And th- this is what Luke has in mind. This is what the early church actually did. Why do we know this? Well, if you remember, a little later in this text, it says that they worship in the temple every day and then they go eat in their homes. They eat in their homes. They do it together. When Luke talks about eating, he's talking about a lot more than we might think. For example, in the ancient world, Let's say you wanted to eat with somebody. Would that be easy or hard? 
Well, it depends. It depends. Because if the person that you're eating with lives more than like, you know, a, a half a mile from you, it's a big pain in the butt because you don't have a car. You don't have a bicycle. You have to walk everywhere you go. The people you eat with are always the people you live next to. In fact, in the ancient world, for the most part, you eat only in one place, and that's what the, the ancient world calls the household. And again, we've talked about this before. The household is usually, it's actually not that dissimilar from these row houses where you've got basically an estate, right? And the estate has lots of different buildings on it. The estate would be a self-contained place of work and life and eating and sleeping. So for example, maybe, you know, Crystal, the, the new believer, she is the patroness of a, of a, of a, a winery, perhaps. And she has, so she makes wine on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And in order to do that, she has like a big compound, basically. And she hires workers. They live there. They eat there. They do everything there. It's, that's their, that's their home. And whether she's related to them by blood or not, they are functionally her family. So when Luke says they, they, they broke bread together, what he means is they did everything together. They probably got really sick of each other. It, it was, uh, we, and if you go and you pay attention to the New Testament, you find out that a lot of the believers work together. They share the same way of making a living. You start to notice that, uh, that there's, there's always talk about like, uh, the home being opened, right? And, and that might be a little weird for us, but in the ancient world, like, because walking was very far and very few people owned stuff, you really did. You lived on sort of a, in a compound. So we hear Luke say, oh, break bread, and we think, oh, the communion, that's fun. But really what Luke is saying is, no, 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 no. What happened with the early church is they all believed, and they all started living together. They all started doing life together. That's the next thing in your note sheets. When Luke says eating together, in the New Testament, eating together is shorthand for doing life together. If you pay attention, maybe if you read the second and third John, which are very short little books, like 10, 12 verses each, you'll see that John's writing a letter to a church, like a, basically a home, a household. And, and he talks about some of the people that are there and what they should do when, when visiting Christians come and how they should take care of them. It's, it's very much like, even though, the, 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 even though it says God brought 3,000 people to the community, what really is, is happening is 3,000 people come, but then they're dispersed into these little homes that are run by patrons and patronesses, and they start doing life together. And when you think about it, it's kind of the same thing today. Like, you know, honestly, if you sit back and you think about who is it that I eat with? Over and over and over again. Well, if you're married and you have kids, it's your wife and family, spouse and family. If you're single, you probably have like a group of close friends that you spend time with over and over and over. It's, it's basically your family unit. The idea of eating together really is the idea of doing everything. It's being committed to living life together. Now that's really weird for us. And for a number of different reasons. I have some here. Um, maybe difference between you know, doing life then and now. Like now, we li- we're basically self-sufficient, right? Uh, there's very few people here who won't survive if they don't have this place. Think about this. This is interesting. There's probably nobody here 
who will starve to death or, you know, be exposed and die if they stop coming to this church. In the ancient world, that wasn't the case. The church was life, literal physical life for people who couldn't provide for themselves. Similarly, we're all spread out. We have people here from, uh, you know, San Clemente all the way up to Irvine, Lake Forest. That's a pretty huge distance. And even with cars, we're actually 20 to 30 minutes from each other. And with Southern California traffic, I mean, it could be hours. Don't you love it when they're like, you're, they're, they're like, they're like, oh, we're actually doing some construction. You know, uh, we're going to widen the freeway. You're like, oh, that's great. And then 10 years later, you're like, are we going to finish that? Like, could we just, I mean, maybe we could like work at night or something. I don't know what it is about this state, but I was driving home and I, I live, you know, Mission Viejo, it's a nice place. Pothole, pothole, pothole. I'm like, what? I, f- I feel like we pay pretty good taxes here in California and yet we just can't like, I'm sorry. Make sure to vote. <laughs> I mean, not that it matters, but you know, like you might, hey, we can try. Okay. Uh, being spread out versus living close together. We live in a world where um, we're, we're, we're radically, you know, it's so, so funny. I mean, you know, I, I'm one of the few people here. Like, so when we moved to Mission Viejo in 1985 or 86, whatever, we moved in next door to the Glenn and Kathy Eichler, Eichler and Jeff and Scott Eichler. The Eichler family, we've, we lived next door to each other for 30 years. It's not surprising we've become close. Class mobility, stratified, rich and poor. In the ancient world, you, you're born rich or born poor. You die the same way 99 times out of 100. Maybe not that many, but in general. Uh, whereas we live in a world where we, we have this, this expectation that class isn't real. It doesn't matter. Which is, which is weird. Um, we're becoming more of a class-based society, but in general, the idea of America is everyone's the same, and it doesn't matter if you have money or don't. Like, if you work real hard, you're going to get money, blah, 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 all that stuff. There, there, so there's no, there's no notion that there's any difference between us. And yet, think about the ways that we do life together, for example. One way that we do life together is we spend time vacationing with people. My family, we go to theme parks a lot of times with other families in the church. Those tickets are kind of expensive though. Disneyland's only what, $1,200 a year to get a decent pass? I mean, who doesn't have that just laying around? Well, what does that mean though? Does that mean that you can't do life with me? If you don't have a Disney pass, you can't afford it. Interestingly, so they eat together, right? Well, guess what? Someone had to buy that food to set the table, right? And it wasn't the poor people who did in the church. Easy communication versus face-to-face, right? We live in a world where we're, we're digitally mediated. I mean, heck, I, you know, I get up here, I'm just yammering on. No one's paying attention. I look in the... It's texting, sometimes watching the game. That's the best. At a certain point, I'm going to start calling you out and be like, what's the score, man? Uh, we, we're, we're, we're totally able to interface with each other at all times, right? In the ancient world, you either wrote a letter or you sat down and talked face-to-face. Doing life in the ancient world <laughs> required, like, 
actual real participation. We assume that it doesn't. In fact, a lot of us, I mean, I know people whose best friends they've never met in the flesh. Isn't that wild? What does it mean to do life together when your life revolves around World of Warcraft? Well, it means raiding with your friends. And, you, and some of you older folks, you might laugh at that, but I guarantee you that your kids think that's normal. And your grandkids. In some cases, your great-grandkids. And I don't necessarily think that's wrong. I mean, maybe it is. I think there's negatives and positives to both, but I understand that what it means to do life in 2020 is not the same thing. And of course, uh, the, the early church was a persecuted minority, uh, first by the non-believing uh, Jewish uh, religious elites and then ultimately by Rome itself. And there's a different mentality when everyone's out to get you. We're getting a little of this in our culture. Like now we kind of get the sense that people are like, those Christians, like, don't know about them. Right? We get the sense that there's some hostility there, but it's nothing like what the early church faced. And maybe it goes that way. But right now, we do not get. But when you're, when you're like under fire like that, you think about the, the church, the underground church in China. I, uh, I knew some friends, I had some friends from China who were part of the underground church. And uh, one, one told me that in order to be a respected pastor in the church in China, you had to have done jail time. Right? Like if you hadn't gone to jail, then they assumed that you weren't preaching the real gospel because the, the state hated that. But you look at the communities they have, and it's like, holy Toledo, they're tightly knit because they are absolutely dependent on each other. What am I saying? What I'm saying is this. I mean, you can, you can put it this way. I don't know for sure, but it might be. It might be that doing life together is really different now than it was then. It might not. I don't honestly know the answer to that question. I really don't. I don't know whether doing life together looks radically similar to Acts 2 or very different. I think in some respects, it's extremely similar. Like, honestly, I kind of hope that most, most of the kids here marry each other when they grow up. I trust the kids here for the most part. There's some stinkers, but for the most part, decent kids... And if I'm thinking of matchmaking for Alice, I'm like, I would much prefer she gets one of y'all than the alternative. So I think that, I mean, <laughs> totes, it totally happens to you, man. It's one of the best parts about Coast. I can't even. All I'm saying is if you, if you keep your kids lo- here long enough, you're going to get some in-laws that you have to see every Sunday. All right. <laughs> hey, Brett. Um, but I also recognize that as we move into the, a different age and a different era, what, what doing life is looks differently. It looks different. And I think that's okay. The question is, are we intentional about trying to match the spirit of what the church is doing in the ancient world with um, our, our, the, the realities of our patterns now? Are we willing to sacrifice some of those patterns to make sure that we are doing life together? It's, I, I, one of the things that's really interesting is... Um, you know, church attendance 60, 70 years ago, everyone went to church every Sunday in the United States. I mean, the church attendance was amazing because there was nothing else to do. And uh, on Sunday, everything was closed on Sunday. And, and not only that, but that was the place where you met, you know, your work partners. You, you glad-handed, you kind of business was done. Like, it was, church was more than just 
let's just say it, entertainment. Right? So one of the things I, I think is really important is, is us recognizing like being here and doing life with the people around us right now. Whatever that looks like, that's what we should expect to see. Let's jump into the, uh, the other part. So, so part of koinonia, part of community is doing life together. The second thing that they all did is they all practiced the prayers. It's an interesting uh, word that Luke uses there. It, it very much, it has the ring, the echo, the sound of set regular temple worship. And we know that um, in just a few more verses, it's going to say they all went to the temple together. So we can understand that what they were, pre- what they were doing was they were doing life together when they were working, eating, playing, all that. And then when they, they were worshiping, they worshiped together. And so, uh, I think it was, I think this picture is from last year. This is, um, this is Jerusalem Day. This is the Temple Mount in, uh, Israel. Right now, there is no temple in Israel, although, um, Many Jewish people uh, are waiting the day when they can reconstruct the temple. As a result, Jewish uh, worship can't, you know, they can't do a temple service, but they often gather at the Temple Mount, typically um, during Ramadan, because they share the space with um, Muslims. During Ramadan, Jewish people are not allowed to go there. Uh, However, one day a year, Jerusalem Day, where they celebrate the victory of um, Israel in the, what, this this is a six-day war? Seven-day war? Six? Six-day war in, like, I think it was 1947, 48, somewhere there. It kind of their Independence Day, they're allowed one day during Ramadan to go, and there's riots every year. It's very intense. But what they do when they go there is they chant the prayers, right? If you think about the, the Bible, the Bible has a whole prayer book, the Psalms. We know that the Psalms were, um, were chanted in the temple. Some of them are call-and-response Psalms. Uh, so the worship leader would say, da-da-da-da-da, and the congregation would respond, his, his, um, his loyal love lasts forever. And that's uh, Psalm 1, I can't remember. Uh, so we know that part of what worship was in the ancient world was kind of set, kind of written out. It was thought, but there was also spontaneous worship, prayers. What Luke is saying, bottom line, is that whatever these people thought worship was, they did it together. Our worship looks a little more like this. The lights are down. The blue lights are beautiful. There's rock and roll. JT's smashing the drums. Very different. But the point's the same. And so Luke sees two parts of life. Two parts of life. One, one part is you know, work, eating, uh, leisure, all those things that you do when you aren't worshiping. And then worship. And what the believers did is they did all of that together. And that is community. It's the next thing in your note sheets. The New Testament, the prayer is a shorthand for worship. When Luke says the prayers, we should hear what we kind of do on Sunday where we praise. And, and oftentimes, uh, we, you know, worship under the stars. That Gladys organized an amazing event where we'd come and we'd just go out there and sing and pray. Um, that We do it together. But again, there's a... <laughs> What's funny is, in the ancient world, for the early believers, worship was much easier than it is for us. Because there's some of you, and you tell me, you make it very, very clear that you do not like rock and roll. You think it's horrible. You like hymns, you like a piano. Some of you, some of you, uh, you know, you check out because, you know, 
music for you growing up was like, you know, gospel. Sometimes, uh, you know, there's like, we have like country bear jamboree sometimes. Every once in a while, Scott leads and kind of does more of like a country vibe, you know. And, and for some f- people, that's, that's home. That's life. They grew up with a, more of a country type deal. Worship's actually really hard. We, we, we have wars over our worship in a way that the ancient world doesn't. And there's three reasons for that uh, up here on the next slide. We, uh, right now, every, everyone here, we're, we're a gathering of like a whole bunch of subcultures, there are people here of, from different um, ethnicities, different uh, backgrounds, different parts of the country. Some of us aren't even from America. Uh, in the United States of America itself, has become very much less like a unified like culture. It's becoming more like a bunch of different cultures that are sort of almost at odds with each other. And here we are gathering together, trying to worship together. It's kind of challenging. And of course, uh, you go home uh, on, uh, and, and, and you listen to your Spotify you know, worship playlist, and, and yours is you know, a chorale singing certain songs. And then another person's uh, Spotify playlist is you know, uh, sort of gospel-y, um, hip-hop influence. Another person's is, is rock and roll, like, like mad but, but, uh, but faithful and, and decrying the problems with... Uh, with and, 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 and that's what we do during the week, and then when we come together, we're all supposed to like, sing the same songs. It's hard! The early believers, they had one hymn book. It was the Psalms. As different as they were, they were way more similar than we are to each other. And so I do think, I think that worship is maybe a little, there's a difference. Worship then and worship now. And in trying to, trying to navigate that might be difficult. It might be, I know some churches, churches are always wrestling with this, always trying to figure out. And what we've kind of settled on here, honestly, is we're asking those of you who wouldn't normally, you know, this isn't your jam. We're asking you to go with it. And ideally, we'll have like other, you know, ways of going about other events and stuff other than Sunday morning. We could have a different vibe or a different way of going about it. But for Sunday mornings, we're kind of just asking you, hey, go with it. Try and, try and get with us. This is the best that we can can, and, do, and, and, you know, props to, to Doug for being, like, just unbelievably sensitive to so many different desires and needs and just always wanting. I mean, did you hear what we did this morning? It was absolutely gorgeous, man. And hearts are lifted, and, and despite all of the differences that we have, like, it, it really is a beautiful thing to see different generations, different cultures, different everything getting together and singing. That's awesome. Let's go to the next slide. And the next one. Yeah. It's funny, uh, I think whenever I ask new people like why they come, where they stick around for a while at Coast, uh, is because they'll say this, they'll say, and I, there's just something really authentic about how we treat each other, they say you, how you treat each other and how you, you know, worship. It's authentic. And as we know from the Pew Research, that's something that people are desperate for. They're desperate for an authentic community, a coming together, people that they can do life with. People are hungry. They're dying for something that feels and is real when they express themselves to God. That is an incredibly attractive thing. 
And if you go on church websites, <laughs> it's a fun thing. You know, look, at, look at all how churches describe themselves. Man, what are you going to see over and over? An authentic community. Authentic worship. Every church says they've got it because they know that's attractive. They're like, everyone's trying to manufacture, create authentic community and authentic worship, which is ironic, but there it is. That's what everyone's trying to do. It, like, if we can just create this, then they'll come. It's field of dreams, right? If we just build it, then they'll come. We just, it's time, it's time to make the community happen because community is important to people. They need, they need relationships. And, and on top of that, we need to make sure that we have the, uh, the best sound and the best this and our, our services have to be just like absolutely incredible and transformative. And we got to make sure that we're doing it better than anybody else. And just like that, you move the lampstand. Just like that, the spotlight goes off of this and goes on to the thing that everyone really wants. An attraction. Oh, come here. We've got, we've got the community. We've got the, 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 you can join this thing and that thing. And oh, hey, we, we've got the, the music that's really going to touch your soul. And, and the services that are really going to, the teaching, you're going to just die. It's so good. And hey, if we're lucky, um, Jesus might get glorified too. thing we can't forget about Acts 2 is that it begins with putting the spotlight on Jesus. And when that happens, the people who need to be rescued from a sick generation come. The people who believe become baptized. Last week we saw people devote themselves uh, to the scriptures, to studying the apostolic teaching, to knowing what Jesus and the people who knew him thought and believed. And now we see people do life together and they worship together. Those are, those are the results of that. And if we don't have authentic community, then chances are we're not doing that. If we don't have worship that's powerful and meaningful and transformative where we really do tell God who God is and we are changed in that, then we are probably missing this. Which isn't to say that we shouldn't try <laughs> and we shouldn't have these you know, programs. And whatnot. I, I'm so pleased. I, uh, well, let me just uh, say, say what's going on here. Let's, let's be real about what's going on here. If we took a, a poll right now, about 50% of the people here have been here since they were born. Back, uh, you know, I guess is John, John's not here. John Mitchell's not here, but I mean, he was born in the 1800s and he still comes. Where, there he is. 
There he is. Civil War veteran, uh, John Mitchell, came, came to coast. <laughs> so that's about half of us. And about half of us have been here for three years or less. And one of the things that's so exciting to me is I, I, what I'm seeing is, 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 is I'm seeing a real deep desire for um, our Civil War veterans and our uh, three years and less people to want to become one. And that's not going to be an easy process. It's not going to happen overnight. But what we can commit ourselves to is we can commit ourselves to this, to staying focused on Jesus being the center. And then in light of that, we can be, well, the, I, know, I know women's ministry is in the middle of rebooting and thinking, uh, they're, they're, what's their, their term? Connect. Connect for 2020. I know uh, our men's ministry is similarly in the, in the middle of a little bit of a revitalization and, and desire to like say, hey, we got to get people together, discipling each other, loving each other. Like that's, this, is, this is huge. I, and I'm seeing this grassroots, not me being like, oh, do this. It's the people, y'all, recognizing this is the next step. And so I, I want to encourage that and say yes to that. Say yes, sign up for the events. Let's plan things. Let's do things. Let's, let's keep you know, having fun together and keep worshiping together. And do, but, 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 not at the, never at the expense of that. Because in the end, the community that we long for, the worship that we long for, the life that we long for, is a byproduct of putting the spotlight on Jesus. Let's not move the lampstand. Let's pray. Gracious God, we, um, we come to you as a people who, who want to be obedient, who we want to shine the light on, on Jesus. Lord Jesus, we want you to be glorified. We want to sing about you. We want to pray. We want to praise. We want to see you lifted up. And yes, Lord, we are people who are craving people to do life together with. We are people who are craving meaningful, transformative worship experiences. We crave those things. Yes, we do. And we, we admit that and we, we ask for it. But we also recommit ourselves to putting the spotlight on you and trusting that your spirit will stir those other things up. May 2020 be a year, God, when, when you integrate through your spirit, focused on your son, integrate um, the past and the present and the future of Coast Bible Church. God, we ask uh, that you create deep and meaningful relationships, that you create deep and meaningful worship experiences, that you make that happen here, that, that you stir up the life that you desire for us. In all things, God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love, and we thank you for the redemption that we have in your Son. In his name we pray, amen.